All right, here we go on a Sunday morning in Las Vegas. This is Out of Line. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. We are here live every Sunday, same time, 8 to 9. And uh, right now we are live at Kickers Gaming and Sports Bar uh, in downtown Las Vegas, one of the very few standalone establishments right now still around and um they're actually kind of brand new but kind of brand old does that make sense spencer it makes sense yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, jennifer metzger and dylan reese a great job putting this place together again it is right down the road from the cashman center and the famous neon boneyard now that has the hard rock uh, hotel and casino sign. You could see it from the 95. It's pretty amazing. But we're just down the road, 931 North uh, Las Vegas Boulevard. Come on down and check us out. During the show, we're offering uh, free orange juice, some donuts. Uh, they got mimosa specials and other things going on. We're pretty dead down here typically in the morning, but it really livens up as the days go on. Uh, this place is pretty amazing. 17 big screen TVs. They've also got uh, 15 gaming machines. Still got the social distancing in place. Up to 50% capacity pretty soon going up to 100 percent capacity as things slowly get back to normal and we'll talk about that in a minute but again also here joining me today is our former intern social media director spencer the wiz ostrovsky nobody beats the wiz nobody beats the wiz the only former intern and social media director in the country with his own theme music. Also joining us back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp uh, studios. Social distancing still, as we are still kicked out of the Fox Sports studios until further notice. Part of the reason Dylan and uh, Jennifer let us come down and do the show. But, uh, Dino Demon, known around the Lotus Broadcasting Studios as Demon Cotton, future WWE star and our director extraordinaire, I should say producer extraordinaire for some time now, back from a two-week hiatus. So we want to thank Doug Douglas for filling in the last couple of weeks and happy to have Demon back with us today. And also, hey, your calls and questions are welcome. The show is live. Uh, the, call, the number to call is 702 876 1340 that'll get you on board and give us a call man ask some questions and uh that's it man. hi this is bubby and it's time for what's on tap yeah what's on tap is brought to you by title sponsor residential bank corp funding america one neighborhood at a time and now offering twenty five hundred dollars off of closing costs for any program that you uh, get approved for in the state of Nevada. That's home financing program. Give them a call, 702-964-5720. That is Residential Bank Corp. Funding America, one neighbor at a time. On tap, man, the Golden Knights, one win away from winning round one after they were down one game to nothing to the Minnesota Wild, winning in a place they never win, and that is Excel, uh, the Excel Center in Minnesota. And um. They won two games in a row there, and they're looking poised to take the series on the other side. The Colorado Avalanche uh, could wrap up their series in sweep fashion today against the St. Louis Blues. We'll talk about that. Also on tap, well, record history could be made in South Carolina today at the PGA Championship. An old veteran 
has poked a nose in front, had a nose in front yesterday, still hanging in there. We'll talk about that guy and that situation here in a little while. And the NBA playoffs, man, as interesting as ever. I think we expected that. Um, really, I don't think there is a clear-cut NBA championship this year or championship series or team. So Spencer and I will break that down for you a little bit. Also, the Las Vegas Aces uh, play their second game in a row at home today against the Connecticut Sun after dropping the first game to Seattle. They've won two straight, so they've already started on a winning streak this year. And, of course, if you're looking for some live sports to check out, you've got the Aces down at the Mandalay Bay, Bay Event Center. You also, up in Summerlin, can be checking out the Las Vegas Aviators playing some good ball. And how about their parent club, the Oakland A's, one of the better teams in Major League Baseball to this point in the season. We'll talk about all that and more as uh, the show rolls on. Again, uh, this is Out of Line. We are here live at Kickers Gaming and Sports Bar, and that is What's on Tap. Once again, brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighbor at a time and offering $2,500 free in closing costs for any home financing program you get approved for right now when purchasing a home in the state of Nevada, 702-964-5720. That's what's on tap. Time for Nightcap. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Keeps it from the Vegas zone, and it's tucked with a burst of speed. Alex Tuck scores! Dumba pulled it off the boards and lost it. Here's Mark Stone on a breakaway. Short-handed. Stone scores! And he takes a chance. He realizes Marshall's scoring is a lot more important than him. Waugh is scoring. He's got two as he puts it into the empty net. I caught me having my Red Bull. That's pretty good, right? You, you did. You got me on that one. Good. You know, you heard Nicholas Waugh score the first two goals, or I should say the first goal and the last goal last night. And it's funny, when me had Mike Messina on a little bit ago, Spencer, if you remember, he talked about one of the guys that needed to get going for this team to be solid, to make a run, and one of the guys that played really last, or well last year in the postseason, and that was Nicholas Waugh. And, of course, he opens the scoring up in game four last night, and um, he closes the scoring with an empty netter, very fitting. Nicholas Waugh's playing really well, as so are many of the other Golden Knights. Yeah, this is the thing that I've noticed in this playoff series, and it didn't start off very well, but I think anything can happen in game one, right? It's a little tense. Everybody's going for the puck. It's going to be low scoring. But here, here's the thing I think changed in this series because they go down 2 nothing, like in the I think in the next game. But, okay, you have this team, right, where there's so many talented players. But I think what they got uh, away from is everybody tried to eat, right? Oh, let's try to pass the ball around or the puck around the ball. It's funny. The puck around to everybody. Let's see who can get uh, some good shots. In the playoffs, you need your star players to deliver. And I think they finally realized. I think Mark Stone more than anybody realized that. Because here it is. When your star players start to dominate and take over games, well, the next game, you have to try to adjust for the star player. And that's where you can use all your depth. Don't use your depth in the beginning to try to just get, oh, he can get a goal. No, no, no. Mark Stone, Jonathan Marshall, so 
patch ready, like if, when he comes back, like those are the guys that you need to have first the puck and then everybody else can eat afterwards versus trying to make everybody happy. Nothing doesn't matter about making everyone happy in the playoffs. It's about winning a Stanley cup. And I think they've finally kind of gotten that attitude and they've been very good in the playoffs yeah. since then. Spencer, that's the thing is, you know, Peter DeBoer, that's what he's known for is a no nonsense type of guy and putting things together. doesn't care about making people happy wants to win exactly what you said. And that's what this team is doing as he changed his season long alternation of the goaltenders in the postseason. He saw what Mark Fleury did in that very first game where they lost one to nothing in overtime and saw that Fleury was standing on his head. He went with him in game two. It got scary for a minute, but that team just went, went on a run and the same ever since and Mark Andre Fleury has been the guy in net that's making this team go and making making things run the way they are he has been so impressive it's not funny we'll talk about Fleury in a second I want to get to what you're saying about Mark Stone because you were talking about a guy that is in his ninth NHL season he's the first captain ever elected to the Golden Knights it took four years for them to finally elect a captain he is such a fitting captain for this team. I mean, you're talking about a guy that now he has 61 points for this team this year, 21 goals, 40 assists, led the team in points, 46 points in 58 career playoff games, Spencer, 21 goals, got his 21st last night, and a 20 geared for this type of a run. And the one thing Mark Stone is, I mean, it's getting overused, but he is such an emotional leader on this team. I mean, I don't know that anyone in the National Hockey League gets more excited when they score a goal than Mark Stone. And when your captain gets that excited, it lights up the entire team. And they all get excited. He has been absolutely tremendous. I think Alex for the best record in the NHL this year, uh, the most points in the NHL this year. It's going to be awfully tough, but um, Minnesota still can't be overlooked. And Mark Stone, as you mentioned, he is the key to this game going. There are other players that are very important, but Mark Stone, without question, I won't say is the nucleus of this team, but is the guy surrounding the nucleus. The nucleus of this team, Mark andre Fleury, his 16th, career playoff shutout last night going on 37 years old and seems to be getting younger it's his 83rd career playoff win he's 83 64 overall in the playoffs he'd only won one game um i should say two games in excel arena or excel center going into last one of two get switched and in big games in crunch time I don't know that there's ever been any better than Marc-Andre Fleury. We can name a bunch of goalies, a bunch of players that maybe are as good and maybe do the same thing, but Marc-Andre Fleury, it'd be hard to say that there's ever been anyone better in big games and big moments than Marc-Andre Fleury. And the bottom line is, Spencer, I'll argue this point with anybody, I don't think it's that far of a stretch to say that if Marc-Andre Fleury isn't in net, and I, I don't know how good Robin Leonard would have done, but this team is down three games to zero or maybe three games to one if Marc-Andre Fleury is not the goaltender for the Vegas Golden Knights. It's pretty amazing. 
Yeah, well, certainly. I mean, one of those goals would call, call back to kind of change the entire series. I think they would have went up 3 nothing at that point, and the comeback's just less likely to happen. It kind of, you know, drains everything you got. But he... That I don't even think exists anymore in the game. Think back a little bit here. I mean, look at what sports is now. I mean, Kyrie has already come out like a couple weeks ago and said that basketball is not the most important thing in his life. And I'm not judging him for saying that. Like, there are more important things. But when you see a player who really does appreciate the sport for what it is, and I think that appreciation puts him above everybody else because HD is do nothing. Couple of goals you don't want to give up, but he was rock solid the rest of the game. He's not shaken. That are those are the qualities. You're always going to give up goals in the playoffs. You're not going to shut out every single team. It's how you react to those goals and what you do going forward. And not only has he did he rebound in that game, but he has pushed himself far beyond that limit in the next game. And obviously, the Knights don't want to spend too much time on Minnesota. Like realistically, Minnesota is a very threatening team, but the fact that they're able to kind of take this much control of it. Give, give themselves a great amount of confidence going into the next round is important because they don't want to make a deep postseason run. They want to win the Stanley Cup. There's very different things. You look in the playoffs, there's a lot of teams that want to go as far as they can. That is not the case for the Golden Knights. They have their eyes set on one goal, and you got to take it one game at a time. But to have a leader like Fleury to be able to lead you to do that is obviously not every – no other team in hockey get, basically has Marc-Andre Fleury right now physically and you know mentally what he does for the team. No, Spencer – Marc-Andre Fleury is, is without question the difference maker. We'll be talking about him forever. I wonder now, and it's it's a question, we'll talk about this as well, what's going to go on in game five now? You've got them up three to one. They're coming home. If there's ever a game to let Leonard start and keep him fresh, if they need him, it would be this game. At home, the pressure's off a little bit. You've got three games now, you know, two games that you can you don't want to take. You want to win this series now, knowing that Colorado could definitely wrap up the series in St. Louis. I think we're all pulling for the Blues to win a game to push Colorado a little bit. You don't want them overly rested. They've really been handily beating the Blues. But this would be a game I would maybe think about starting Leonard, or do you just say, you know what, I'm riding Marc-Andre Fleury till the very, very end. It's going to be interesting to see what Pete DeBoer does there. I honestly don't know. For the first time, I'm a little bit perplexed. What would I do if I was Pete DeBoer right now? I'm leaning like i got to get Robin Leonard on the ice a little bit. If something does happen to Fleury, we don't want Robin to think we have no confidence in him, and there's nothing that Robin has done to remove the confidence from, from, you know, from him that he's done that he doesn't deserve to be playing right now. He's had the best year of his career for the Vegas Golden Knights when he's been healthy, but yet Marc-Andre Fleury, I mean, we saw it established in game one, even though it was a loss. It was literally a shutout. Marc-Andre Fleury should have 17 career shutouts because he shut them out through three periods. It took overtime for Minnesota to win game one, or that would have been another shutout in Marc-Andre Fleury's cap. I mean, unbelievable how good this guy is. I honestly don't know. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Pete DeBoer is going to go with Robin Leonard in game five to get him on the ice. 
but I won't be shocked if I'm wrong. And like I said, I might even be second guessing myself because I just think maybe you just ride this wave with Flurry and let him play every game and just say, you know, this is his, this is his net. Don't take him out of net for a minute. Don't shake his confidence. Say, Mark, we want you in there. But I'd also hate to see him like lose game five and give up a few bad goals or something. And then Mark Andre Flurry's maybe confidence be shaken. It's really a tough subject. And I would love to hear what more experts think. And I'm going to find out and listen to that obviously before tomorrow night's game back at T-Mobile Arena. But, Spencer, we talked a little bit about Max Pacioretty. It's an undisclosed lower body injury. If he's available Monday night, tomorrow night, do you play him in game five? And I'm going to say flat out, I don't play Max Pacioretty until game six in Minnesota if he's ready. You don't need him for game five. In the simple spec, they've got, they've got two games to give right now. Keep this guy. Let him get healthy. Don't risk him getting injured if it's a lower body injury. You know, he's been game to game, and obviously it's serious enough to keep him out of this series against a team that, that's been a pain in uh, the Vegas Golden Knights' ass all season, season long in the Minnesota Wild. But now that you've got this little bit of a comfort zone, I let Max rest even if he's able to play tomorrow night. Some weird decisions if you're Pete DeBoer right now that you have to make. What do you think about both those decisions? Number one, Marc-Andre Fleury or Robin Leonard in game five. And if Pacioretty's ready, do you bring him back or do you keep him on the shelf? Yeah, well, game five in the, in the goaltender situation tells us everything we need to know. If Robin Leonard is not starting, there is no better game to put him in. There's no pressure. I mean, you're up by a bunch. You're at home. So if he doesn't play, we will not see Robin Leonard in the playoffs, which I don't, I don't think is a bad thing. I mean, Fleury's been playing amazing, but so is he. I think you will see Robin in goal. I think it's the smart thing to do, especially, you know, injuries can happen at any point in time. So you don't want to have an unfresh goalie or, you know, give him a little bit of playoff experience, a little bit of confidence for himself. But I think he understands the situation, too. I think Robin's like, okay, this guy's just on another level. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, it's, he has a whole career ahead of him. Last game the more you get to play at the end of your career. It's not like he's still not collecting his game check, you know. He's not losing money because he's not in goal. And I think, you know, they have that fundamental understanding. And I also think they have a good relationship. So, yes, I think Robin Leonard is in goal. If he's not, we'll, not, we'll see him at, in next season, basically. Uh, Pacioretty, though, it, it's interesting. I don't think you want to start or end the game with him if you are going to play him. You don't want a guy coming back from injury to figure it out in the playoffs, at least not to dictate the pace of the game. Now, once you're in the middle of it, it's a little easier. So, what I would say is this is what they should do because Patch Reddy is going to come back eventually. You play him maybe in the middle of a shift, like the third shift of that line, the first line, and then maybe in the second or the third period, you should say, uh, maybe a little bit later. But you don't want to end the game with him because that's just a weird spot to be in. Now, has he forgotten how to play hockey completely? Probably not. It's a little bit of an exaggeration. Sometimes I question if he knows how to play hockey, period, but <laughs> that's just a joke. He's obviously going to be pretty important for the Knights you know, moving forward, being able to put it in the back of the net. But, yeah, like I said, this, this is my final answer is don't start him, don't finish with him, but play him in the middle. Maybe play him 10, 15 minutes on ice. Like, no pressure there. Plus, you might get a little bit of spark out of it. Maybe you will shoot a goal in, and then you'll probably win this series, and then you can you know, have him going forward starting. Now, Spencer, I'm throwing you under a bus under two things you talked about earlier in the season real quick. Two players on the Golden Knights that you said were expendable and they could lose. Both those guys have been unbelievably important. One of them, bo both of them in the regular season, one of them has been vital in the postseason and has stepped up his game big time. The guy in the regular season, obviously Max Patch ready hurt, but leading the team in goals, and there is no question we saw the effect of 
game when Mark Stone was not being initially productive in the point total because him and Max have become so good together. Know where each other is going to be, and I really think Max Pacioretty helps Mark Stone. Now, would Mark Stone still be a great player without Max? Of course, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying on this team, they have they have vibed well. The other one that I'm going to talk about is Jonathan Marchessault. He always seems to be in the right place at the right time. And the bottom line is the one thing about Jonathan Marshall, what I've always liked about him, is he is Charlie Hustle on the ice. The guy always plays at full speed and plays his best. Is the most talented player in the National Hockey League? Of course not. But he is a very talented player. For his size, he plays bigger than his size. And the one thing I love about Jonathan Marshall is he does not shy away from physical play. The more physical the game gets, Jonathan Marshall tends to be there. Where on the other hand, I've seen Riley Smith improve in that area, but Riley Smith is a guy who is not a very physical player. Jonathan Marchessault plays bigger than his stature, so all I'm going to say is both these guys have been and will continue to be vital for this Again, I don't think you would see Jonathan Marchessault maybe make an NHL all-star team, but Jonathan Marchessault is good enough to be a one- or two-line player on most teams in the National Hockey League. He would see the ice, and he would be a contributor no matter where he went. Max Pacioretty, now into his 30s, is a former all-star and has the ability to still be one. And again, the Vegas Golden Knights, they tied for the most points this year in the National Hockey League as far as points go for winnings, wins and losses. They are the, the uh, tied for the best record in the National Hockey League. We're a whisker away from winning the President's Cup, and their leading goal scorer is Max Pacioretty. Okay. It, it's, okay. it's hard to dispute any of those things since they are all facts. But instead of letting you go on about this, I'm just saying I just wanted to point those things out to you. I understood your arguments earlier in the season. Match Pacioretty takes too many shots. Matter of fact, he probably takes as many shots as anyone in the league and not all of them quality shots. He needs to take more quality shots. Jonathan Marchessault at times has disappeared, has taken an, an errant penalty that maybe he shouldn't do. But he's an aggressive player, and aggressiveness does cause those things to happen sometimes. I don't want to spend more time on that. One of the things I wanted to talk about, Spencer, as we as we wrap this segment up, is how valuable video replay has been to the Vegas Golden Knights this year. You mentioned it yourself. Eric Sinek could have two extra goals, and potentially if Minnesota was up three, be clearly offside, but unless you have video replay, it's not called. And boy, does Pete DeBoer take a risk in that game because if it if it doesn't go their way, they're up three to nothing and they're on the power play. So that is monstrous because that's the penalty of missing or getting a call wrong. You immediately go shorthanded. And then the, to get the goal taken away, goaltender interference so close, but you could see the skates of the Minnesota player were clearly in the blue area, which is considered the goal crease, which was goalie interference. Both of those, though, very close calls. Pete DeBoer wins both of them. Their goals off the board, and as you said, in in, in game number in game number uh, three, Spencer, if they don't get that 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 goal removed, they probably lose going. could have been different also is that would have made it a two-to-one hockey game and it could have potentially sparked a comeback for the Minnesota Wild. Wow, what ballsy video replay requests by the Golden Knights, number one, and number two, both successful. 
difference makers and potentially if they won the Stanley Cup, those are two goals you have to look back on that could say that's that helped them win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, this is the reality with hockey too, and this drives me nuts in all other sports. I think replay is really objectively look at in football there are so many nuanced things about turnovers and all of that it's hard to tell it's hard to look at the puck in hockey it's offsides which is pretty easy like the way the angle looks at and whether or not the puck is in the net and goaltender interference that's the one that's a little shaky but if he's in the blue pit, blue area sure yeah in the they've clearly defined the way that they do yep. their rules and that's obviously benefited i think that's just good for hockey also they don't take forever to look at replays too that's what you have to admire. No, I agree. I mean, it is, I mean, it, luck is part of the, you know. Like during the inaugural season and part of the team during their run to the Stanley Cup finals in the first season in the 2017-2018 season. And to see Montreal faring well against a good Toronto Maple Leafs. See, Toronto did even the series yesterday, but Montreal was able to steal game one, one in Toronto. And how cool is it? see Daniel Tatar, Nick Suzuki, and John Merrill now, another guy that we dished off to the Red Wings, who Montreal picked up through before the trading deadline. Three of those guys and all three of them contributing to this Montreal team that still could end up surprising the Toronto Maple Leafs and, and coming out of the four hole in the Northern Division and winning that, and that would be kind of cool. And then, you know, other teams, you know, you see Pierre uh, Edouard Belmar playing for the Colorado Avalanche, doing real good there. And how about, you know, David Perez? Ron playing for the St. Louis Blues. I love seeing Golden Knights players on other teams. A side story, but it's kind of cool. But the real question now, Spencer, will the Knights win game four? As much as I love St. Louis game four and extend the series in the Colorado, I think that series ends today. St. Louis just has no comment. Uh, they, they just have no um, – no answer for Colorado. Colorado is too fast. They're getting way too good of goaltending right now. And the St. Louis Blues are going to have to play their best game just to win one game. So it is important. But do, do the Knights win this in game five or does it take longer? It's it's tough because the idea is that they're desperate. And desperation in the playoffs is worth a whole lot in any sport. doesn't matter. The problem is for them is be great by the time I say the Stanley Cup as if assuming they're going to be there but you would hope like by the time the Stanley Cup rolls around that they'd be like uh, full capacity that would be really really special uh, I, you know I'm going to say the Golden Knights close this thing out look it might not be pretty it might be like a 2-1 or maybe a 4-2 or 4-3 they may be a little more than they may nice though I'm serious. Wow. That is a 4-3 to clinch the series. So they're going to lose two straight games to Minnesota. No, the Golden Knights clinched the game. Oh, they clinched. They, okay, 4-3 they clinch. Okay, I thought the series would go 4-3. No, I, um, I, I definitely agree with you. I think that they win. No matter who goes in net tomorrow, I think that they win and they move, they advance. And Colorado Golden Knights, it's going to be a heck of a series, people. I, I am looking so – I mean – 
that should be a great series. It's really unfortunate it's happening in the second round because they are record-wise. You know what? You got to get by Colorado eventually, so why not in the second round? They have had trouble with them all year, but they had trouble with Minnesota all year. They couldn't win in Minnesota. XL Center's been been a nightmare for them, and yet they've won. They won. They won two straight games there. So hard to say that, but you know the series that I think is 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 been one of the most. What's happened? But it's been the Florida, the all Florida series. Everyone with Florida that the Florida Panthers winning and and Tampa Bay, uh, you know, Florida getting, you know, having to win their last two games to get first seed. Tampa Bay coming in as fourth seed because they've been without Kucherov the entire season. He's been out getting hip surgery, and of course, uh, they were also missing Steven Stamkos for the last month and a half of the season. Both those guys come back right before the playoffs, and lo and behold, the Tampa Bay Lightning are now on the threshold of winning the first series coming out of the four hole to me they are one of the most dangerous teams in champions number one we can't take that away from them right and now having Kucherov, although Kucherov got hurt yesterday, I don't know how bad that was as he took a slash in that game across his knee. It didn't look like it was that hard, but it's the one area that's not protected, so that's a little bit worrisome. But having Stamkos and Kucherov back, Spencer, is invaluable to them, and Vacheleski is playing as good as he did last year. This Tampa Bay Lightning team is a team that, to me, is one of the most scary in the National Hockey League right now, and everyone better take note. If Kucherov is okay and is able to come back and, and, and skate with them and continue the way he's been playing, and Stamkos and, and Vajaleski keep staying on his head, the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to to make a run this year in the state playoffs, and yet here's Tampa Bay, healthy at the right time, and probably the scariest team, in my opinion, in the postseason right now. Well, health is just – Health and playoff experience, when you have those two things, it, potential doesn't really mean anything in the playoffs. The uh, just Miami, you have all this playoff experience, it didn't mean anything last year. So, again, I, I agree with you. Tampa Bay is so dangerous, and people just kind of swept them under a rug like they wouldn't do anything. How can you discount a team that was recently just so successful? It's nuts. That's one of the great parts about hockey. I think there's a lot more even matchups. I think talent is more evenly spread amongst the league, at least for playoff teams. Every one of the teams is doing good. If you'll notice, there's one common denominator, and it's the man between the pipes. teams. Obviously, we talk enough about Vegas Golden Knights, but even the Colorado Avalanche with Grubauer back now team, he is such a tough guy to get the puck past. But it is goaltending, and it is defense that wins championships. Spencer, let's move on. It's time for Fact This, and I've been looking forward to this one uh, since yesterday. Fact This. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact This. Fact. The oldest player to ever win a major on the PGA Tour was a guy named Julius Boros, who in 1968 won the PGA Championship at the age of 40. This could be the day 
that a way more familiar name breaks that record. Phil Mickelson, who turns 51 in June, takes a one-stroke lead into today's final round at the 2021 PGA Championship. Considering Phil is currently ranked 115th in the world, Spencer, and has two top 20 finishes in the last two years, this would be pretty amazing. Thursday, he was 201 to win the PGA Championship. Today... He's three to one. Yeah. Well, here's the thing with golf. It's like this mystical sport where it's like the bug catches you or something. But we know like when you play consistently great, I mean, it's just all the stars have to align. And sometimes they do. Greatness in golf shines every once in a while. And think about it this way, too. I mean, think about how dedicated you have to be. I know you don't have to be the most athletic person to play golf, but you have to keep yourself in golf shape on some level, meaning that you're swinging constantly, right? Like you're constantly honing in your game. And during the time, if you dedicate yourself to a game on another level, that people who are 20 to 30 just, they don't have to try as hard. You have to put so much effort into your game to be there because there's just so many facets. I think it's the hardest sport in the world. Personally, it's so frustrating. And to be just to be enjoy the game still at this age on a competitive level, you'll always enjoy golf. I'm sure casually. And, and we all do from time to time. This is a whole other universe. No, it really is. It's uh, it's, it's the coolest. Hey, don't watch golf all the time. I wish I played better than I do. I'm a lousy golfer, but I enjoy the hell out of the game. It's some of the coolest landscape you'll ever see. I love playing the game of golf. I love watching the majors. I didn't, I, it started in about 1986, believe it or not, well before you were thought, when Jack Nicholas at 46 won the Masters. I watched that back nine at Augusta. One of the most incredible things ever. I've been hooked ever since, and I watch all four majors. So obviously I'm locked in right now. It is pretty amazing because the last guy that was 200 to one to win a major. Okay. The last guy to win 200 to one to win a major. Yeah. Pretty crazy. He won the 2010 British open. He was 200 before the tournament started. And ironically, Louis Ustazen has finished runner up in all four majors. He's won a U.S. open, but this is pretty cool. He's 38. So a couple of elder statesmen to a degree buying Louis Ustaz and a couple strokes back uh, at five under. But as much as I want to say, this is the year for Phil Mickelson, <laughs> who has not finished in a top 10 in a major since 2016, Spencer, again, two top 20 finishes in the last two years. Okay. There's eight players within five shots of Mickelson going into today, but the guy on his tail, Brooks Kepka, it's like one of the monster. top five players in the game. He is a flipping machine. He doesn't get rattled. Phil Phil likes to talk. Kepka probably won't say a word to him today in that final pairing, but Brooks Kepka is as good as it gets. One of only three guys that was driving the ball three forty plus yesterday. I mean, he is a beast. Not the greatest guy to have chasing you and only one stroke back behind Phil. He's actually the odds-on favorite. He's plus one sixty. Actually, not really the odds on favor. Plus one sixty to win today, which I think is pretty good odds on Kepka. Phil at three to one would be the odds on favor. Louis is six to one. Then you go back to a guy, Kevin Streelam, 
the guy that nobody knows that's in fourth place right now. He's four under. He's 16 to one. And odds that I really like on a guy is Bryson DeChambeau. Sure. Probably took his shot of steroids this morning. <laughs> he's minus two, tied for seventh. He's 18 to one going in. And that's five strokes back of Phil. And I think five strokes back or not, you're catchable. And uh, but what a great final round they are set up for right now, Spencer. Over there in South Carolina, they're playing on the ocean course. Uh, It's unbelievable. And the question is, can Phil hang on at 50 years old? He turns 51 next month. Can he hold on, become the oldest major ever winner today, and somehow hold off? Brooks Kepka. Yeah, see, the, the thing you talked about, and I agree with you that Brooks Kepka won't, uh, you know, crumble to the pressure, but Phil also won't. I mean, you want to talk about experience. This guy has the most PGA right now. I think he'll be there. I think I think he enjoys his game, and I think he's also in the zone right now. I mean, that's all that matters, right? You have the young, like, beast and Brooks Kepka, but he probably wants this more than uh, – Kepka does and that that can take you a long way too but also the interesting part of golf too is if you want it too much you'll probably end up falling apart too but I think you'll probably have the wherewithal to keep an even head just play one hole at a time take your chances when you need to you kind of have to go for it right if you're uh Phil Mickelson because you can't just play hard Actually, I think I think he'll hold on. I think this he wants this really badly, and I think it'll carry the momentum will carry him, you know, to the finish line. Well, yeah, I mean, if he shoots par, that would mean Kepka would have to go one under yeah. to tie him. That would mean um, Ustazen would have to go two under to tie him, and uh, Streelan would have to go three under to tie him. Those are all formative under par at the PGA on Sunday. They're going to make it tough. It's a major. Um, I don't know. I said from the very beginning, I like Kepka a lot in this tournament. I like him again. I think it's going to end up being Kepka winning the PGA, but I would love to see Phil do it. Man, do I want to be wrong desperately. I don't want it to be runner-up. A um, couple other guys that are in the mix that have big names when you go down the board. Gary Woodland is two under. We already talked about Bryson DeChambeau. Paul Casey, who I call the fader. Always somehow is in contention and never ends up closing in the major. He's one one under, so he's only six back, still within contention. And a guy that I'm really, really happy for, Spencer, uh, to close out this conversation, Ricky Fowler. Didn't even make the cut at the Masters. Didn't qualify for the Masters. First time he's missed a major wow. in a long time. He qualified for the PGA. I'm happy to see him back doing well. He really has lost his confidence. He's even par, only seven strokes behind. Phil going into today's round. I'd love to see Ricky end up in red figures. Uh, it's nice to see him back and playing well again. Um, he's one of the guys that I'd love to see him win a major before his career is out, but one of the more colorful guys on tour. And to think when I saw him not playing the Masters, that was shocking. So it's good to see uh, Ricky Fowler back. He's tied for 13th again at even par. But um, what a final day we should have today, man. I am locked down. I am going home, playing some online poker, and I'm watching the PGA final, and I'm pulling for Phil big time. But if I was going to put my money down, I'd like plus 160 in Brooks Kepka, man. That is going to be a tough out and a tough beat. This guy just plays really well. Like I said, Phil likes to talk on Sundays, and we know Brooks does, and it'll be interesting to see if those two guys are communicating on the golf course at all. I mean, I know Brooks looks up to Phil. Who doesn't? 
So it'll be interesting to see how that final pairing plays out. I can't wait to watch it. That has made for some great television. All right, Spence, let's roll it over to the NBA playoffs, something I know you uh, are all wrapped up in, very involved in. And, um, you know, we can start over in the West. A series that I want to talk about that I really like is the Dallas Mavericks and the L.A. Clippers. I told you last week, Dallas is one of my favorite teams to watch. Luka Doncic, I mean, the guy is 22 years old, Spencer. 22 years old. He just had his second 30-point triple-double, 30-point plus a triple-double, the most by any player age 22 or younger in the industry. I know LeBron did it, at the age of 22, but Luca's done it twice. Listen, it's ridiculous what he's, he's he's doing because go down the Dallas Mavericks roster for a second. I mean, their second best player is technically but yeah, and then like uh, their backup point guard. But I mean, it's just not a very talented roster. But he makes them great. So the other side of this though is the Clippers, right? They lose game one. This is the problem with the Clippers. When you had the Miami Heat days where LeBron was there, they made themselves the villains of the league, and they drove off of that. They may not have actually been villains. I don't think they were. I don't think they kind of carried themselves that way, but that was the story around them, and they ran with it. The Clippers have nothing like that. They have a super team, and all they have is pressure, pressure from everybody. or played a lot of games together this year. Sergi Baca was out for most of the season. Kawhi, you know, misses a bunch of games. Paul George missed a bunch. Pat Beverly missed a bunch of games. These guys don't even know what it's like to be on the court with each other. And they're not as talented as the Brooklyn Nets, especially in the advantage for the Brooklyn Nets, who haven't played a lot of games together. They're all great scores individually. This is a team effort for the Clippers, and clearly, it, so far, it hasn't worked. It's a long series. I don't think this is indicative of the whole series. Yeah, Kawhi Leonard double double had uh, 20, 26 points, was nine of twenty two from the field, ten rebounds, five assists. But again, Luca man, ten rebounds, eleven assists. I mean, this he just does it all, brings it up the floor, and it's so much fun to watch. I don't know that Dallas will get by the Clippers in this series, as you said, it's a seven game series. And when you're talking about Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, two of the best in the NBA, especially postseason, it's going to be a tough out. But it's amazing to see what Luka Doncic, I won't say the Dallas Mavericks, I'm with you, what Luka Doncic might do by himself in the postseason is pretty damn cool. And on the other side, you know, another big upset, if you want to call it that, the Portland Trailblazers blow out the Denver Nuggets yesterday. I keep saying that I don't want to say Damian Lillard is the most underrated player in the NBA because I think everyone knows about Damian. He's just not talked about enough, Spencer, and he is such a special and talented player in the NBA. How far, and you know more than I do, you follow the NBA more than I, how far can Damian Lillard take this Portland Trailblazers team this year? Yeah, well, that's the question, right? And they were the third worst defense statistically in NBA history this year, and they actually played a decent game. The key thing, I think, for the Nuggets, or not the Nuggets, the Trailblazers, is 
they're not going to shut out the best player on the opposing team. They literally are one of the worst defenses ever. But if they can take an aspect away, because they're going to be able to score with anybody. They have so many offensive weapons. Norman Powell, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Nurkic has a pretty good score. Carmelo Anthony's playing very well right now. Anthony Simons is actually playing pretty decent. I think he shot well yesterday. So scoring's never going to be an issue for them. But if you look at the key stat from yesterday's game against the Nuggets, is uh, Jokic had a great game, but he had one assist. They depend on Jokic to run that offense, especially now that Jamal Murray's gone. So if they, they took that away from him, just that, just that one part, and they'll have to do that in every series. I don't know what that's going to be. Maybe if they play the Clippers, you try to stop Kawhi from scoring as much, or you don't let Reggie Jackson be a facilitator. You don't let Paul George uh, get into his comfortable spots because they're not going to be able to do multiple things, just that. And hopefully, you know, they're, they want to score 123 every game, but if they can realistically score 110 a night, they can pretty much beat anybody. I think it's going to come kill them, though. I think once they play the better teams, the later you get, there's going to be more than just Jokic on a team because there's no second star for the Nuggets, and that's you know obviously Michael Porter Jr. Also, the, in this series specifically, uh, you know the, everything is riding on the Trailblazers. The Nuggets have no pressure on themselves. They were they went past where everyone thought they would last year. Now they're without Jamal Murray. I think that kind of stress that the Trailblazers are putting on themselves will elevate them very far in the series. I definitely like the Trailblazers here, uh, but. Damian Lillard, by the way, amazing. He was my pick to win MVP before the season started. <laughs> this is 18th 30-point-plus playoff game. He scored 34 yesterday um, on his way to a double-double. He had 13 assists as well. You know, I think with Portland, as you mentioned, you know, and McCollum, C.J. McCollum, again, a big game, also 21 points yesterday. That is a tremendous backcourt. If not one of the, if not the best backcourt in the NBA, it's one of the best backcourts in the NBA. I mean, McCollum and Lillard outgrown, but a lot of it's going to depend on, as you mentioned, the third leading scorer off the bench, Carmelo Anthony, at 106 years old, still playing tremendous basketball. Really has been a great contributor and a perfect fit to this team. But I really think it's going to be Nurkic who is going to make the difference for the Trailblazers. He's got big, wide body, Spencer. He's a good center. Double-double yesterday, 16 points, but more importantly, 12 rebounds. Him controlling the glass and the inside presence for Portland is as how far is this team going to do. Lillard will do his thing from the outside. He'll do his thing from the inside. He'll do his thing dishing the basketball. But you've got to have some consistency play from a big for this team to have any chance to win. As good as those guards are, it is going to be Yusuf Nurkic that is going to be the difference for the Trailblazers. And I said that all along. They've got to have tremendous play from him. Last night they did, more than serviceable. 12 boards, 16 points. They keep getting production like that out of him. That's going to make McCollum and obviously uh, Lillard's job a lot easier in the perimeter. And um, I like this Portland team. I do think they are going to beat the Denver Nuggets, but I don't think they're going to go any farther. But I love what Damian Lillard's doing. And you're right, people got to start talking about him as one of the most valuable players in the National Basketball Association, one of the best little men to ever play this game. Damian Lillard is a special and very gifted talent. And maybe because they hide him up in Portland, he's not talked about enough. He should be. He's as good as anybody in the National Basketball Association doing what he does, and that is being a team leader. He's good at both ends of the floor. He'll play defense for you. He'll hustle down the court, and we all know that his range, in my opinion, is every bit as good as Steph Curry's. That's how good I think Damian Lillard is. So um, it's going to be an interesting series there, Spencer. Um, another one in the West, uh, you know, that, that everyone's waiting for and anticipating. Obviously, the L.A. Lakers – 
how far will they go now that you have you have uh, you have your two bigs back again? Yeah, you when I talk about your two bigs, the two-headed monster of Anthony Davis and um, LeBron James back. Neither one of them at a hundred percent, but with those two guys on the floor, we saw what they could do last year in the bubble. How good are they going to be, and can they repeat? Yeah, th- this is the thing, right? They're <laughs> like the second favorites to, uh, I think, win the title. And yet they're only slight favorites to win in this series. The money initially was like uh, the line was crazy. Like the Lakers, I think, were minus 300 in the series. And then it's come, come way back. And now it's going back towards the Lakers. But it's hard to understand the betting market when it comes to the Lakers because there's so many fans of the franchise that they're just going to bet on them anyways. But, I mean, health is obviously the biggest concern here. But I actually think about it this way. If the Lakers – so you're not going to play you, you never had a chance to play the ac which is going to be the memphis grizzlies after that i guess maybe the dallas mavericks because they're not so talented although that's probably not a fun series that they would want to partake in you don't you don't want to play the clippers you definitely don't want to play the utah jazz at any point or not at any point i think they could beat utah or phoenix but phoenix i mean utah is just way tougher i think it's just something they wouldn't want to they are hoping they get knocked out at some point. You don't want to face Rudy Gobert, especially because they play so down low. They're so big. There's no advantage there. And then look at the Phoenix Suns. I mean, yes, they have Chris Paul, but in the reality situation, Chris Paul's never even been to a finals. And then Devin Booker has never won more than 20 games until last season. Mikael Bridges is very young. DeAndre Ayton, obviously, is like only in his second or third season. So as you go down the list and you really start to think about it, this is an inexperienced Phoenix team. They were great in the regular season. They were great against the spread. Everything seems to trend towards that. But as we know, the, the regular season, the playoff, they're like two totally different games. So as long as – and who's going to guard Anthony Davis in this series? I mean, DeAndre Ayton, it's just not a responsibility you want him to take on, especially if the Lakers are smart enough to play Anthony Davis at the five, which I know he doesn't like to. But in the playoffs last year, come on, they were dominant when he was at the five. So hopefully they go back to that. I think they will. I think they'll be ready – barring any setbacks injury-wise. But the one last thing for the Lakers is they, they're going to need Dennis Schroeder to play way better than he did against the Warriors. He was garbage. I know he's just coming back from health and safety protocols. He didn't have uh, COVID-19, but he did have to sit out for like a week or two, and he only played at the end of the season. I think he'll get there, but they're not winning the series without Dennis Schroeder you know, scoring at least 15 a game, in my opinion. It's going to be a very interesting series, and I agree with you. I think it's a perfect storm for L.A. I think Phoenix was the team they don't want to play. DeAndre Ayton gets better and better every year, Spencer. Sure. He's still a young guy with development in front of him. He's not ready to guard Anthony Davis in a seven-game series. If Anthony Davis is playing his game, I agree with you 100%. Switching over real quickly to the great game yesterday between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat. Everyone was wondering, is Miami going to step up like they did last year, the surprise team in the bubble last year? Jimmy Butler willing his team to the NBA Finals. I don't think Miami's going to do the same thing this year. Jimmy Butler struggling from the field, four for 22 yesterday, but one of those four happened to be the final bucket of regulation that put the game into overtime. When the game is in the when the game is hanging in the balance, you want the ball in Jimmy Butler's hand if you're Miami. They had it in his hand. They tied. But Milwaukee overall too much. You're wondering, is this the year Milwaukee's finally get over to the hump? And it wasn't Giannis who takes the final shot. It's Chris Middleton who had a hell of a game, 27 points, including the game winner with half a second left. If he's playing as well as he did yesterday, yesterday, and of course Giannis, 18 rebounds to go along with his 26 points, Milwaukee will be a tough out. They 
They need to depend on Chris Middleton a lot more than they have been. That's been the that's been the problem with them so to this point. Giannis shot way too much yesterday. Look, Giannis suffers from the same thing that Westbrook does when the playoffs starts, and that the regular season is obviously very fast, and there's fast breaks. There is no one better in the fast break than Giannis. Maybe in NBA history, with his size and athleticism, there's a lot more half court, and Giannis just doesn't excel in that side. But you know who does? Chris Middleton. He's one of the best ISO scorers in the league, and obviously he had that game winner. They're dangerous. They just need to realize that scoring isn't the the ultimatum. And like I think Giannis tries to put too much responsibility on himself. You got some great scores in Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. Lean on them and pick your spots. That's what they should be doing. No, I'll agree with you 100. percent And I wanted to uh, before we move on to the last team. Which was a very tough out, and we watched John Morant continuing to grow and grow and grow in his second season. Now, in no time at all, we are going to be talking about him being one of the best players in the National Basketball Players in the NBA. He does both ends of the court. He, he plays well above the rim. He is one of the most exciting and dynamic players to play in the NBA. With that being said, Memphis is done, but at least they got no, into the, in game one. At least they Pivotal got game one to, to the playoffs, to the real playoffs. And I'm very excited for them as they are definitely on an upward swing. And Memphis Grizzlies are going to be a team to be reckoned with in the Eastern Conference for years to come as long as they hang on to John Morant because he is that good and that special of a player. But let's go ahead, Spencer, and talk about the one team that everyone says if there is a team that would be a juggernaut, which I don't think there is because they haven't played enough together this year, it would be the Brooklyn Nets. Hard to argue that any team is more talented than the Nets when you talk about their three-headed monster in Kevin Durant, James Harding, and Kyrie Irving. They are as good as it gets. All three of them in double figures. No surprising Durant, 32 points, 12 rebounds. Kyrie Irving, 29 points, six rebounds and an assist. And, of course, James Harden, almost a triple-double. Didn't even have a double-double, but he was real close. 21 points, eight assists, nine rebounds. James was playing at both ends of the court. That is going to be a tough team to beat. 104-93 over the Celtics. As much as I love the ability of Jason Tatum, he has no chance against this Brooklyn team. Does anybody in the East have a chance against this Brooklyn team? if those three guys play well and all play together. This is the tough part about playing the Brooklyn Nets is, okay, you want to play fast. Let's play in the fast break. Well, you're definitely not going to win a game against the Nets. And then you just go to the half court, and now you're staring down three of the best half court players in the entire league. It's really tough to stop them. Someone's going to have to just knock them out defensively enough to, and score enough. Conference finals, and that'll be hell of finals. But I agree with you. 79% of the Nets points came from Durant, Harding, and Irving yesterday. Uh, you don't see that very often, but that's how good those three are and how good the Brooklyn Nets can be. Listen, we're just about out of time. I did want to mention the Las Vegas Aces, who are playing again today at home against the Connecticut Sun. After that first loss to Seattle, you wondered how good they are going to be. They came back and beat Seattle in game two. 
beat the L.A. Sparks handily Friday night in their home opener. I think they'll win again today, and they'll be on a three-game winning streak. Uh, good to them, and we got to get out there and see some of those games. Also, the Aviators playing up at the Las Vegas ballpark. Listen, we're out of time. I'm Brian Feldman along with Spencer Ostrowski. This has been Out of Line. We want to thank again Demond Cotton back in the Fox Courts Residential Bank Court Studios. And uh, we'll be back next week. We'll have some great guests on the show next week. We are here every Sunday, same time, 8 to 9, Out of Line, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. And uh, I will say it because I can cheer from here. Go Knights, go, man. Win game five and beat the damn avalanche. We'll see you next week.